All right, so last week I told you that um, I was on my knees and God said, okay, you're done with Philippians. And um, so we were done with Philippians last week. This week I'm on my knees going, okay, God, now what? (laughs) Um, And so a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts, um, and, and I, I have been sensing strongly that he, he is taking me out of my comfort zone um, to say, I want you to tell the people what I tell you, what resonates in your soul that will resonate with them that they need to hear. I need you to be my conduit. I need you to just be a pipeline for me and say, okay, God, I'm willing to do that. And so he said, here's a test. Does God ever do this with you? So here's a test. If you take your bulletin, it doesn't look anything like what I usually do. You see? Scripture, what'd you say? The the bulletin's broken. The copy machine didn't work. And so here's here's what I sensed him say. and, and, I, and I, I truly, so this, this is an example of what God does, in, because he has to move us out of our comfort zones in order for us to be fully surrendered to him. I, one of the emphases in my ministry for over three decades has been helping people and pastors know how to communicate, know how to put together a, a message that is effective um, and a part of that is identifying an, uh, your objective. And so that's what you always see. And then what are your points? Identifying your points and giving people something to take home. And so I'm on my knees and God says, all I want you to do is to put the scripture in blank. So God, that's not the way I work. <laughs> God goes, well, you're going to cooperate with me or are you going to do what you've always done? And so I don't know if it's always going to be this way. But it was, so here's an encouragement for you. Here's a guy who's been a, a Christian for over 50 years, who's been a pastor for over 40 years, and God's still pulling me out of my comfort zone. In order, and it's not about pulling us out of our comfort zone just to pull us out of our comfort zone. It's so that we experience him more. Amen. Because as long as we're holding on to what is familiar to us, mm-hmm. then he can't break through that. So what you see here is out of my comfort zone, is what this is. So that, here we're headed. The Bible is, the, the history of the Bible is a record of God doing the impossible. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, what we have is a history of God doing the impossible by forcing people to be in impossible situations and inviting them to come along with him to see how he's bigger. That is the history of the Bible. Event after event, moment after moment. Um, it is God, because that's how God shows up. 
in the impossible moments. So what we read over and over again is people being invited to join God into impossible situations to experience Him. It's still the same with us. How stupid is it for us to get caught up in our own situations and get, all, get worried about it and frustrated about it when we can look into the Bible and see time after time after time after time after time after time when people were in an impossible situation and when they were able to humble themselves and surrender to God, God showed up. We really have to get, develop this attitude whenever we face something difficult. Not just seeing it as um, an opportunity, but seeing it as a plethora of possibilities to experience God. And for Him to be honored, for Him to be glorified. Your impossible situation and you, you're either in one or you're headed toward one. Good news, right? Amen. It is good news. Your impossible situation is not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's, it, it, even beyond opportunity, it's an invitation by God. Because there's nothing that you will ever face that God doesn't already know. God's already there ahead of time working and inviting us to experience. And so we have to get this attitude, okay, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. <clears throat> we have, I put some scriptures in there. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, when God comes to Abraham and Sarah, um, and he's told him he's going to have a son. At <clears throat> this point, he's about, I think he's about 90 years old, and she's about 80. And he tells him he's going to have a son. And Genesis chapter 18, 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? But God, I'm, I'm 90 years old. What, what are they going to think when I take this child to kindergarten orientation? Have you ever thought about that? So Abraham is now 95, and Sarah is 85, and they walk into the principal's office saying, we want to register our son. Oh, is this your great-great-grandson? No, this is my son. Oh, did you adopt him? No. We got him at the hospital. <laughs> is anything too hard for him? At the appointed time, I will return to you by this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Jeremiah chapter 32, when the people of Israel have been overrun because of their disobedience, they've been destroyed, they've been taken prisoner, they've been exiled, they've been scattered across the, ba I think it's the Babylonian empire. And, and God comes to Jeremiah and says, I want you to purchase property as a, as a prophetic statement that I am going to bring my presence back to Israel. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then verse 27, Behold, God's response, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Fast forward <clears throat> a number of centuries and you have an angel showing up to a teenage girl. 
And he announces that she's going to be, she's going to carry the Son of God in her womb. And she says, how can it be? I, I don't, how? And he responds, nothing will be impossible with God. And then that baby becomes Jesus, the Son of God, grows up. And during his ministry, <clears throat> when the disciples are listening to him teach, and, and Jesus says, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. It's especially hard for rich people. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And they're all aghast. And they say, well, if, if people who it appears are following God have a difficult time making, how in the world can anybody make it into heaven? And Jesus replies, he looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The history of the Bible is time after time after time after time of impossible situations. And not just God doing the impossible, but inviting people to experience him doing the impossible so that they see how big God is. He receives glory. He receives honor and glory in the unseen. The devil gets kicked in the teeth and people are brought to God. It's possible that the very situation that we think will drown us, will destroy us, is what God needs to bring us through in order for his will to be accomplished and other people to see Christ. It's possible that the very situation that we think is overwhelming is what these kids in our congregation need to see us face and overcome for them to walk away and say, if that's who God is, that's who I want to follow. Nothing is impossible with God. We look at our world today. And does it ever, in my mind, I go, that's impossible. That's crazy. That's how in the world, nothing is impossible with God. And that's why I say, let's pray for spiritual awakening and revival because God is bigger. God is bigger. And he's inviting us to join him. How do we do that? Which brings us to our next scripture. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> so we'll start this today, and hopefully it'll be enough of a teaser for you to come back next week. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, <clears throat> beginning with verse 1. Anybody need a Bible, by the way? Okay. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mayanites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and beyond, and, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Okay, let's pause there. Let me give you a little backstory. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, the southern kingdom, after the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. 
So you had David, Solomon, and then the kingdom split. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king. His father Asa had ruled for 40 years in the southern kingdom. Was a good king. Jehoshaphat comes on the scene. He's a good king. And that's not um, a minor detail. Because most of the kings in the northern kingdom of Israel were bad kings. They chased after idols. They turned their back on God, chased after idols. A lot of the kings in the southern king did the same thing. But we find Jehoshaphat was a good king. He's now facing an impossible situation because as we're going to see in this chapter, these, there are hordes of people. There's such a multitude of military armies coming after him that there's no way Judah can ever defeat them. But there's a backstory. If you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, you discover that early in Jehoshaphat's um, reign, he uh, goes to the northern kingdom <clears throat> and he talks to Ahab, <clears throat> who's a bad, bad, bad king. And Ahab, <clears throat> excuse me, invites him to attack some of the other kingdoms and reclaim territory. We don't know why, but Jehoshaphat gets caught up in that. He was a good king, listening to a bad king. And I think part of it was because he wanted, he wanted to please Ahab. Let's pause right there. Do you ever do things because you don't want people to be unhappy with you? Do you ever do anything because you're afraid of criticism or rejection, fearing that it may not go well? I think that's what Jehoshaphat got caught up into. He was early. They have been king for a while. Their fathers had always been at each other. So now here's an opportunity for the two kingdoms to work together. And so in the midst of all of that, Jehoshaphat, being a good king, says, let's call on the prophets. And let's ask him, should we attack? So Ahab says, okay, I've got a whole bunch of prophets. He calls them in and they all go, oh yeah, yeah, king, go, go, go for it, go for it. And Jehoshaphat looks at these and he realizes they're false prophets. These aren't even God's people. And so he says, isn't there a real prophet around here? And, and Ahab, which should have been, should have been a red flag, yeah, I've got one, Micaiah, but he always says things I don't want to hear. So I don't call him in. <laughs> so Jehoshaphat says, we'll call him in. I want to hear what he has to say. So Micaiah comes in and Ahab says, okay, tell us. And Micaiah goes, yeah, go ahead. You'll be successful. <laughs> and even King Ahab can see through him because he's being sarcastic. And he says, tell me the truth. I want to hear the truth. Micaiah says, and finally he goes, if you go, you will be defeated and you will die. And Jehoshaphat hears that. But for some reason, he doesn't follow it. They go out. They, they, they go out. Ahab is killed. Um, Josiah is, or Jehoshaphat is routed. He goes back with his tail between his legs back to his own kingdom. That's 18. Chapter 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 19, we find Jehoshaphat um, um, 
spearheading all of these reforms to turn to God. He tears down the idols. He brings the people back to God. He reestablishes the, the, the worship and, and rebuilds everything. And people are coming to God. He's doing all of the right things. And then we come to chapter 20. And we find this. This great horde is coming. Here's one of the things that I sense God wanted us to hear. When impossible situations come, when bad things come, there are a couple of human responses that we can have. One is, I deserve this. I deserve this. I've made so many mistakes. I've sinned so many times. I've done so many bad things that really I, I deserve these bad things coming. That's what Jehoshaphat could have said. Because if you go back to chapter 18, he disobeyed God. He didn't listen to God's prophet. He went to war under pressure from Ahab. He came back with his tail between his legs. And the very people who are now attacking him are the ones that they got into it back in chapter 18. So the reason he's experiencing this attack is because of his bad decisions in the past. Do you ever face things now and you look back and you go, I'm, I'm facing this because of the stupid things I've done in the past. I have sinned in the past. I've done these things in the past. I deserve what I get. And, you, and because of that, Satan goes, yeah, you do. God doesn't want to be bothered with this. That's one human response. The second human response is, God, did you read chapter 19? Look at all the reforms. Look at all the good things. All these years since then, I've been doing all of this good stuff. God, I'm doing all this good stuff. I don't deserve this. You should be honoring me because I'm bringing the reforms. And instead of, of, of being, taking it personally, we get this indignant attitude towards God like he's not treating us right and we don't go to God. It's true that we experience the consequences of our stupidity from the past. Amen? Some of you ought to be saying amen really loud. <laughs> our sins and our stupidity, our bad decisions from the past lead to difficulties and impossible situations. What is the answer? Should, the answer is one. If you're writing things down, I didn't put it there. I gave you plenty of space to write. Go to God no matter what. If it's because of your own stupidity, go to God. If it's because you've been doing all of this good stuff and you want, go to God anyway. Go to God. Now, what we see in, um, in Jehoshaphat that is different from Ahab is Jehoshaphat was not living a rebellious lifestyle. He was making stupid mistakes making bad decisions. There's a difference. Um, and so he goes to God. Don't let your sins prevent you from going to God. Don't let the good things that you think God ought to be honoring for you keep you from going to God. What if this situation is something that God has allowed, this impossible situation? Now, remember in in the first couple of verses, what we've seen is there's all of these armies from various different nations coming to destroy Jehoshaphat and Judah. It's an impossible situation. It's impossible. Do you hear me? It's impossible. 
There's no way Jehoshaphat gets out of this. None. No possibility. What if God is allowing this impossible situation because Jehoshaphat is ruling as a good king? What if it's not punishment or consequences, but it's invitation to experience something phenomenal? What if the next impossible situation you face is not because of bad things happening, it's because God is giving you the invitation to experience the impossible. Just recently I was, you know, there's this cold thing going around. Anybody else sneezing and coughing? And, and so recently I was, you know, feeling like, ah, I think I'm going to catch this and I don't want to get sick. And I, and, and, and I sensed the Holy Spirit arrest me saying, what if you got a few sniffles and colds because I'm preventing you from getting any sicker? You're whining about, worried about being sick. What if I'm already covering this? Different perspective, isn't it? What if Jehoshaphat has given, been given a gift? I think that's the situation. What if it's not about problems, but God trusting Jehoshaphat? What if what you're facing is not about a problem, but God is actually trusting you to go to him so that you experience the impossible. That changes everything, doesn't it? Doesn't make it any easier. But it gives us his perspective. Verse 3. We'll just touch on this and then we'll pick it up next week. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Good response. <laughs> right? Admit you're afraid. And let that drive you to God. He was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. Fear's good when it drives us to the arms of God. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. When we're facing an impossible situation, he gives us, here he gives us the model. Recognize it for what it is. And admit that there's fear. And then you go to God in all seriousness. He set his face to seek the Lord. Not just to say this nice little prayer, God, we got problems. It's to seek the Lord. And, he, and he, not only he, but he proclaimed for all the entire nation to fast. And they began to come from all over the country, coming to Jerusalem. Because that's the, where the temple was. They turned to seek the Lord. Um, the maturity in Jehoshaphat, I think, came from the debacle in chapter 18 and, hit, and what he learned in chapter 19. There's this maturity of saying, okay, I learned from my mistake. I learned from my mistake. Now, here, don't let the devil beat you up from the mistakes that you've made because that's how you gain maturity. Don't make the same stupid mistake over and over again. That's the problem. Learn from the mistakes and go forward. Because God puts us into situations where he knows that it's too much for us and we fall on our faces. 
That's the history of the disciples. The way to become wise, or, or, or the way to be wise is to make good decisions. The way to um, learn how to make good decisions is by making bad decisions and learning from them. So when you make the next bad decision, say, oh, okay, well, we learned that lesson. Let's go forward. So Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood before the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court and said, O God, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. He goes to the, he, he recognizes his, his fear. He's learned from his failures. He goes to God, proclaims a fast, and then instead of whining, you see what he does? He praises God. God, I recognize who you are. You are the God of all gods. You are the God that has done incredible works. You are the God who gave us this land. You are the God who allowed this sanctuary to be built. You are the God who offered to hear us anytime. He looked up to God. When you're facing impossible situations, the absolute key is to be able to take that situation and lay it alongside God. Just what I said during prayer is when you lay it at his feet and then you look up and you realize the enormity of who he is, then you can go forward. Amen. So what is the impossible situation that you're facing? And what are you doing in order to see God is bigger? If you have your head down, you're not going to see who he really is. But if you look up, you'll see how big he is. What do you think Peter would have done if Jesus ever asked him to walk on water again? Have you ever thought about that? I think he would have walked with abandon because he learned his lesson. And here's the lesson. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. The picture that God keeps bringing to my mind in the last few weeks is Peter starting to sink and Jesus saying, reaching out and saying, eyes on me. Eyes on me. Don't look at the waves. Don't look at the wind. Don't listen to the wind. Don't listen, don't listen to the other 11 back there trying to throw you a, a life jacket. Eyes on me. Would you bow your heads? How is God telling you to put your eyes on him? It's the key. Of all the things that we've talked about today, it's the key to seeing the enormity of him, to seeing past the impossibility, to experience what he has. How's he telling you? Eyes on me. Eyes on me. The difficulty that you're facing in relationships. Eyes on me. The difficult of circumstances. Eyes on me. Finances, eyes on me. The enormity of your job, eyes on me. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to get our eyes on you. Take us through whatever we need. Bring us the resources. Surround us with people who aren't whiners but are courageous for you. To encourage us, challenge us, cause us to be bold. I pray for each one of these folks, whatever they're facing, that you would invite them, that you would help them to see your enormity and everything in contrast to that. Lord, I pray that for us as a church body, whatever you want us to do, however you want us to work, that you would help us to put our eyes on you. Eyes on you. We give ourselves to you, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you want. We give you praise. We give you ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have prayer requests...